This is Music Respawn. I'm Kate Remington with Cody Matthew Johnson and Yoko Honda. They are the composers responsible for the amazing soundtrack for Trek to Yomi. And Yoko was also the music director for the game. And it's really wonderful to talk with both of you. Thank you yeah, so much. Thanks, thank for, you so much uh, thanks for, for having us yeah. on. Okay, I'm a I'm a fan of the show, so I'm I'm excited to to be here. Uh, I've kind of always wanted to be on the show. So same, cool. very. Oh, excited. that's awesome! Here, <laughs> you know, I can totally see why to- Trek to Yomi caught your attention at uh, that Tokyo Game Show because it's not like anything else I have ever seen. In fact, it's such a pitch perfect homage to the films of Kurosawa. And to be honest, I didn't know the Unreal Engine could even look like that. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so amazing. But I'm really curious about what drew you guys in to want to do the music for it. And maybe Yoko, um, it sounds like you were the first one to get in touch with the developers. So maybe you could kind of uh, start with, you know, what drew you into writing the music? Yeah, sure. So um, Cody, just um, please follow up if I miss anything. But How we started was at Tokyo Game Show back in uh, 2019. And um, Cody and I were meeting up with the director, and also he was the story writer of this game, director Yomi, uh, Leonard Mincherari. And he showed us this um, temporary version of the game Mocha Play that he made. And he explained that it is an homage to Kurosawa movies, as you mentioned. And it was just beautiful and powerful. And like you mentioned, I've never really seen a game that has the concept, something like this. It was quite amazing um, at that point already. And that immediately captured my attention. And I was intrigued right away. And I told Cody that I would like to do the music. And that started at that point already. So that's how we began. Yeah, it's funny how you say uh, you didn't know Unreal Engine could look like that. I didn't know Unreal Engine or real life could look like the Unreal Engine. <laughs> I, <laughs> dude, I, don't, I don't know what's reality anymore. Uh, but pl- I played this game so much. Uh, just it's, it's all I see. Uh, so, yeah, in 20, 2019, we were fortunate to do that. And it's true. We were meeting with mostly there to meet some of our clients. We do a lot of work with. Japanese developers, um, and while we were there, Yoko stumbled upon this this single dev, Leonard. You know, he he was there with one of his writing partners, and it's just one of those things where you you look at it and you know instantly there's you know it, it was you know a rough vertical slice, but you know pretty much instantly this is something special. This is a little bit different than the other things you've seen before. Instead of it necessarily trying to compete with all of these other games in such a big way it really chose its battles and decided to do one thing really really well then try to accomplish all these other very grandiose uh, objectives and that was yeah being a, a little love letter to to kurosawa what's so amazing about it is it sounds like leonard had a really clear vision right from the beginning of how he wanted the music to sound. And so I'm kind of wondering, did that help? You know, you, it doesn't sound like you had to do a lot of experimenting necessarily to get to the right sound. I mean, I'm sure it was a pretty steep mountain to climb to, to round up the musicians and, and <laughs> single out the instruments and stuff. But right from the start, it sounds like he had such a 
you know a definite idea of what the music should be that that must have made it a little bit easier at least at first yes it did and it didn't at the same time because i'm first of all i'm a huge grosso movie fan myself and i knew the music you know were Kurosawa's music partner, composer Hayasaka, role was really different and difficult to challenge. So, yes, it indicated what kind of specific music was needed for this game eventually. However, I already sensed that it's going to be quite a challenge. And especially, um, except for myself, everyone in the team was non-Japanese. So I knew that it's going to be a challenge for me, but if it's going to be a challenge for me, then including Cody, everyone in the team is going to face this like quite a huge challenge. So that's, that's why I said it. yes, it did, and it didn't at the same time. Yeah, and uh, just just to jump in too on that is is that Leonard um, very inspired by Roshimon Seven Samurai, and um, the music in that from Fumio Hayasaka is orchestral, right? He's very much so inspired by music from Hollywood films in the '40s, and there would be times where he'd be like, "Well, let's just put like a violin right here," and we're like, "No, we can't. This is no." And he's just like, "No, just for this one moment, just put a violin," and we're like. Uh, you know, luckily there was that relationship because we had known him for so long by the time we actually started, nearly nearly two years, about 18 months. And so we could tell him, be like, that's not your vision, I swear, it's the easy out. Don't just put a tremolo violin in this cinematic, it's just for the cinematic. I'm like, oh, don't do that. And so it, it was moments like that where we, you know, made, his vision was, you know, Kurosawa added to, to Edo period and trying to find that balance and... um 
you know, we mostly mostly Yoko helped guide this into okay, let's let's keep it let's keep it in this realm, let's keep it in this box of only Edo period instruments. Let's try and be as authentic as possible and within the realm of being dramatic for a video game. Well, it just adds so much to the world of the game and the experience of watching and playing through this amazing story of the, this young samurai, Hiroki, and his, his love, uh, Aiko. And there's you know there are battles, he's defending his village, but then he also has to journey down to the mysterious spirit world of Yomi. And what I found really fascinating listening to the music on its own mm. and then also in the context of the game is there's nothing to break how immersive it is because you didn't try to fuse it with Western instruments. I mean, it's completely sealed off from from any Western in instruments. And so, Yoko, I'm wondering, with your background in Japanese music and traditional Japanese music, you know, what was sort of the learning curve for you to kind of decide on the instrumentation? So there were many learning curves for me. I'm from Japan and I grew up with traditional instruments and I played a little bit of Japanese flute as well. But when it comes to it appeared music, first of all, it's three to four hundred years ago. It's very specific style and instruments and I didn't really have the knowledge, uh, like good knowledge, good enough to score everything with those limited instruments and instrumentation. So I only had the generic basic level as a Japanese composer born and raised there. So the first challenge was to know exactly which region used which instruments because the region you know, each region had different instruments, instrumentation, different scale, different musicality. So my epic research was basically to cover all the regions, uh, musicality, and the different instrumentation. And depending on, on class back then, people used different instruments too. So that was almost doing all the history research and it appears long enough that lasted about 200 years. So it wasn't that easy to do this research. It wasn't a quick Google, just, you know, tackle Google for one hour. It took me for a long time, actually. And I pretty much related on information as I discovered to Cody and the whole team, almost like every day. And like Cody said earlier, Luckily, we had a little bit of um, time to do all the research beforehand before we started actual production, 18 months. So during that time, I basically learned a lot of exactly how they people use it, or this is the same instrument, but back then wasn't developed like the ones we have these days. So that kind of stuff, I needed to do extensive research almost every day.
yeah, it sounds like a graduate course in musicology. <laughs> there's just so much to cover. There. My thesis is called Trek to Yomi very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cody, I can't even imagine what it must have been like for you, even though you'd, you'd studied world music yeah. um, in college and you were pretty familiar with kind of a rough idea of, of these instruments. But it must have been just kind of daunting at the beginning. I right? had piles of papers on my desks of like we would make decisions for certain characters to use certain scales so i'm like i'm gonna print out a piece of paper that has like these scales and i'm like uh you know that that person in the mail room with all the yarn between all the different uh, <laughs> things posted on the wall uh very much so like that where it's like okay we're gonna use the shakuhachi with senjuro's theme and the hiro joshi and connecting all these things uh, very much so not easy at first. Um, although it's it's nice to just go into something and be like, I don't need to use any of the skills I already know. This is this is completely fresh. So that that full brain dump. Um, so you don't lean on it. It's like, all right, I'm, I can't go to five. It's, I'm not doing a two, five, one. There's no subdominant function anymore. Like we're getting real nerdy with music theory. But all of that's gone, which is great and i think once you get a little more comfortable in whatever new environment you're in um i think having a fresh perspective on it helps thrive as well so a lot of the times it's like working on some music in this new system that i've never done before and i'd send it to yoko she's like honey please that's a blue scale you can't do that (laughs) (laughs) i'm like okay all right okay yeah yeah it's i'll get rid of that or I would do something. It's like instead of going up, you're going down here, and then you land on this this note, and that's not that's more of a Western inflection musically. So why don't we change it to go up here? So there's definitely some minutia, even after I spent a lot of time trying to get deeper into this, and I have my 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 crazy stacks of papers all over my studio with even with like ideas of taiko rhythms that were traditional, so I could kind of look and start with like a rhythm and practice it and jam on it and then develop it into my own thing that's that's always where the touch point was where I was shuffling and grabbing a new paper and and trying to start at at the source rather than just come up with an idea and be like oh can I fit this into a box I'd rather start with the confines in the box and work outwards well yeah you mentioned in um, another interview that you really appreciated having that box yeah because you know having the guardrails kind of free kind of forced you to be creative in within that and so i'd love to know you know how how having the box really helped you with that uh a big thing was and then we talked about this a lot because it's a video game and the players of this game aren't just going to be um you know people in japan this is this is a, a game that's targeted at kurosawa fans and samurai fans and cinema fans there's there's a lot of different demographics that'll be playing this game and they all have um kind of a contemporary understanding of musical drama and what they do expect to be in a video game and so we can't just pull the rug out from underneath them because there's no we got to meet them halfway or else like you run into the risk of alienating them if you challenge them too much challenging great thing um and we were able to do that a lot with this game but there's some musical devices that we needed to try and apply 
um, even through, uh, you know, these Edo period instruments as a vessel. And so it's like, yeah, like that string example is a very good example because like, I want this sustained note to continue. It's like, oh, what the hell sounds like that? And so we did some research and, um, you know, Yoko found this, uh, a few different instruments and we landed on the kokyu, which is, uh, you know, a similar instrument to the erhu um in in china which is kind of like this bowed instrument it's not super super popular but we found something that could fill that void in a way or we'd use like soft um tremoloed koto or we'd find different touch points and new textures inside of the the color palette that we had to to fill those gaps that people might expect emotionally when it comes to like the dramatic delivery of the music.
Yeah, because I really I want to talk with you about how you did the music for some of the boss battles and the musical identity that you gave to some of the bosses. But before we get to that, Yoko, I'm really curious about how you even found the musicians or how you both found the musicians to even play the music that you needed. So it's a little bit of hodgepodge, everything you can think of. First of all, we luckily had a local connection. I personally knew one musician and then word of mouth. And also we basically did a cold contact as well. I looked up, you know, hey, if there are any Japanese musicians, and I basically emailed or messaged through their website. And also uh, Cody arranged with um, agent in Japan to record this amazing gagaku, which is a style of the music. And we had remote recording session of this gagaku ensemble in Tokyo. So we pretty much used everything we could because we were really desperate. Not only getting those authentic traditional players, which, you know, as you can imagine, there are not many people in the first place, but also the top-notch players that we needed to, uh, within our budget and the time and the timing, and it was everything. So that was, yeah, actually we got really lucky here and there as well. So It's, it's hard enough it. making a score during the pandemic, but such mm-hmm. a hyper-specific kind of music in the middle of a global pandemic normally we would have traveled to you know tokyo and recorded there for like a couple of weeks and done everything at the end um but instead we were able to find people here and there's this fun fun process for like we're finding musicians we have a big excel sheet and there's basically like a check mark that was like yoko's approval of like this person sounds this person's good but they don't sound like traditional Edo period. So it's we're throwing people out <laughs> left and right. And it's almost like some of the people we found who embodied the sound of what we were looking for, it, we almost didn't want them to be the absolute best because this music represents, um, you know, we don't need like the Yo-Yo Ma of Shamisen to be playing on this score because this music doesn't, doesn't represent that it represents like where we're talking about music for villages and people and commoners and where we're telling us a simple story um more or less about love and and finding balance in life and um so in in a, a lot of ways being that picky to find people that had the right tone that represents the time and the place um worked out really well i think it created some issues because these aren't these aren't studio musicians they're just the people who who love this culture and who play these instruments, and so a lot of the time we gave them sheet music. Like, I can't read that. Um, <laughs> I'm just play the track. I'm just gonna try and mimic what's on the track. So we would do these tiny little phrases and have to stitch it up later. Uh, a lot of work, but it worked. It worked out. It turned out really nice. Uh, I think. Well, I was gonna ask you about the the music, the, the actual music, the notes on the page, because there's a just a glimpse of the music in the video that you made of some of the recording sessions. And it doesn't look like Western music at all. Mm. And so did you have somebody helping you get the music, you know, from your head, like down on onto the page? So first of all, I'll give you an example. I'd like to mention this score. It's first of all, it's running vertical like matrix cells, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's for the instrument called koto, which is the strings instrument. And even though I could 
tell which notes are actually played. You know, I can copy by my ears. However, I can't read. I mean, I can only um, read like one by one because it's all letters, not the notes and clefs. So <laughs> I needed to really rely on the Kota player in the recording studio to ask like, so how about this? How about that? So the score was actually um, transformed or more like translated from the Western format into Japanese format. And I asked the uh, player, can you please convert this one? Is it playable? Is it like authentic? This one, this one, because I didn't have the score knowledge and it was quite different. And that's how I had to process because I don't write that way on the staves. Yeah, it sounds really just like another just another layer of of this really complex music. And so um, one of the things that I thought was so interesting was that when you had the musicians in the studio, you'd ask them to improvise so that you had a lot more material. And I'm curious, is that a anything um, a traditional way of performing? Because like I'm thinking with Baroque music. Uh, in Western music, the the lower parts, the bass, they were kind of expected to improvise along with, you know, what the violins were doing. But I don't know, given this era and the traditional, um, you know, Edo period music, if that was even a, a thing that they would do. Yeah, that's actually a really great question. Um, Cody, do you want to mention anything? Yeah, I'll, I'll start by saying, um, you know, whether or not improvisation was very common in the Edo period, we felt, specifically I felt, these musicians' interpretations of some of the figures and and riffs, I call them riffs because I'm like a metal guy, my riffs, (laughs) and uh, the riffs I was writing and the melodies and things, um, we had a few different milestones along the way, so we would have a recording session and bring everyone in and we would record the pieces, but then we'd be like, okay, Jamie's our shamisen player, he's excellent would say, yeah, you know the riff that we're trying to write here. Um, we're going to mute the shamisen in the whole track and just take that idea and, and you know, you, you know you know like his training and you know this instrument and what we're trying to go for. So give, give us some, some vibe on that riff and, and some very idiomatic like flourishes and things um, on that. So it felt a little more authentic rather than a traditional player trying to play something that a white dude wrote it was like you know uh, an interpretation of sort of some of these figures and and melodies um, in a very kind of honorific way that we had put together for these characters Um, and then oftentimes I would take those and just replace what I was doing earlier I was like this is way better I'm just gonna take that (laughs) yeah and that's very true about the improvisation so one thing that I feel like it's uh, great about this improvisation process for this track to Yomi score was that, um, yes, indeed, there were so many improvisational sessions back in it. A period, actually, it was like everyday thing, unless it was for ritual ceremonies specific for higher status people. But um, for commoners, you know, it was like like what how we do these days people get together with their instruments or you know sometimes um people walking on a street join and jump in and just you know start singing together so that existed and luckily um this japanese tradition music is in a way systematic i would say because 
like I said, it was very specific for which instrument to be used, you know, on what occasion. So in a way, it's very um, systematic because it's pretty much occasion-centric, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So even though we're asking the players to improvise, it didn't jump from point A to point B in the wrong way. It was always going along the direction of, okay, okay so this is going to be the battle, so please use some sort of um, battlefield rhythms, for example. So it never jumped from A point battle music to the B point, which is the, for example, summer festival rhythm, which is completely different. So they knew the difference. But yeah, there's so many uh, funny examples, something like that. Okay, so um, Cody, you wrote this beautiful melody, but that was actually only for the ceremonies and that's religious and it's not for, you know, this case... So please don't use that in something like that kind of systematic issues mm. or fun things that we had. So when it comes to improvisation, that's part of it. And luckily we had so many players and performers who actually had that knowledge. So that really helped. Well, I was going to ask about your um, collaboration because <laughs> it sounds like um, you were really uh, working hard to make sure that everything was respectful and authentic. And I think it's just remarkable, the attention to detail. And so, you know, kind of how did your collaboration actually work? Uh, there was a good amount of music, especially in the beginning of the game that we co-wrote. I think all of chapter two, we collaborated on directly. So we would write pieces and swap stems. We had, um, you know, I got, I got kind of matching logic templates set up so we could be actually collaborating over the cloud on Dropbox. Um, and then in in chapter one, Yoko definitely took the lead there because it, it is, I would say, the, m the most rooted in Edo period is that um, the music in chapter one specifically, um, Sakura Fubuki is the piece on the soundtrack, the, the, the music that's playing as Hiroki as a child is running through the, the status quo, we should say, before... Mm -hmm. you know, chaos occurs.
And then throughout the rest of the development, um, you know, of course, we got to hit, we got to hit milestones. We got to get cooking. So <laughs> we uh, we often started just working on our own pieces independently, and would just be like, "Hey, can you can you listen to this? Is this is this garbage? Like, is this <laughs> is this okay?" And uh, you know, most of the time. Yoko would be like, this is garbage. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I didn't and, say garbage. <laughs> and so it, it was a lot of just like bouncing ideas. Like, well, what if this thing right here, maybe you should change this. Or here I added this tiny little flute thing on top. Like, I think that'll help kind of sell this section over here. Um, or, you know, there were some instances too towards the end of the game where I, I'm, you know, I'm a percussionist and I'm, I'm good at like action music and driving stuff and that sort of thing. So I might do kind of a, a bit of a groove and send it to Yoko and she would add some other instruments to it. So there was a, a little more uh, soft collaboration like that too. Well, it's really fascinating because I can't tell who wrote what track unless I look at the credits. <laughs> so you guys fused your talents just so amazingly well. And one of the things that I think really kind of links the music together are the taiko drums. Mm. And it must have been just a whole lot of fun to write for them because it's just such an amazing sound. Right. Um, well, thank you, first of all. That, I have to give massive credit and kudos to Cody because not just he's really good at rhythm. I mean, first of all, he's a massive nerdy gamer too, and so am I. But he was really good at giving a, hey, so this beat, I like it. It's beautiful. But for the game function purposes, it's not strong enough or it's mm. too strong. So he was really great at giving me that kind of feedback as to, you know, even though this is 100% authentic, this wouldn't work here for this specific game function, game chapter, the story. Mm -hmm. It needs to be intensified, like, you know, double, triple. So he was actually my um, guide in a way. So that really, um, yeah, helped me going through this, you know, production period. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to add any notes to that, Cody. Yeah, you know what's, what's insane is there's not just one taiko drum. Holy, what? I had no <laughs> idea. We're, like, starting this. It's like, taiko, great. I've got taiko samples. It's Yoga's like, hold the phone. You heard of a hero daiko, <laughs> o daiko, you know, shime daiko? I'm like, you got to stop. You've said three new words in the last minute. I cannot keep up. Uh, but so it was, it was really fun discovering this wider range of um, – this full range from very low sounding taikos to higher, you play them faster. So now we have a bit more uh, colors to orchestrate these rhythms with. Before I was like taiko drums, loud, beat hard, trailer music, Hans Zimmer, great. And now it's, oh, these can be soft and these can be fast and these can be all sorts of new colors. And so it was fun exploring that instrument and that family of instruments as a whole throughout this whole the whole game because now especially when we implemented it because we we striped out um pretty much every individual taiko drum so we had like two different shime da uh shime taiko uh stems and hiras and odaikos and some like lower like deeper percussion instruments and so on the implementation too we had a lot of opportunity to include like alternate takes so on the loop back of the piece itself it wasn't the same player. So we had um, MB Gordy, who's a fantastic drummer. He worked with us here in town. And so he was playing a lot of these. So we would have these alt takes. So it never quite felt like <laughs> a loop. 
because it felt like people were jamming and it was variable so it wasn't always just like the A performance then the B performance where things would shift so there's always a new combination of these performances so it felt very organic and natural. Yeah, that track Dancing Blades. I mean, was that as hard for them to play as it sounds? This one's interesting because um, we did, like I was saying earlier, we did a recording session. might have been our second round of recordings because that piece is in the third chapter. So maybe it was the f- first round. And we, I had just sketched this out. Uh, we were delivering chapter one and two, but we had time left after a recording session with the Shamisen player. And I had written a piece... And I might, I might get this inverse, but the sentiment's the same. I had written a piece at 120 BPM. And it was just like some taiko drums jamming pretty much as is as you hear them. Because shockingly, a lot of the music in this game is V1. Like we wrote it and there's just like a lot of trust in what we were doing. And the creative director's like, that's great. Thank you. Like, wow. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a unicorn if I've ever heard of it. Um, but... So we he you know I had Jamie play down this piece and he did a great job and he's playing along to it and um, we had some shamisen parts and a click and all this stuff and I think we had turned off the shamisen that was in Logic the sketch shamisen turned off the click and had him jam to it again but the way he was interpreting it was actually like 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 a hocket like a three over two so he was feeling it as this 180 BPM vibe so he was hitting like four and eight bar phrases very disjunct from the 120 bpm four and eight bar phrases so the piece actually feels very chaotic like the drums and the shamisen dance against each other in this like three over two but over the course of like a very long piece of music so it feels like the drums reset here and then the shamisen reset and the drums reset and they kind of take turns and then at some point they double back onto each other and split apart and then at the end of the piece they come back together so finding like it, another really interesting case of the player interpreting the piece much differently than I, you know we would have ever imagined. But what a what a fun and interesting coincidence to have that happen, which is turns out to be like one of my favorite pieces, and it's it's one of the favorites um, of the development team too. We've used that in a lot of trailers and things. Total accident, 100% an accident.
That's amazing. I mean, and it's really cool that you can just, you know, be prepared for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like the whole recording process was really interesting, too, because you track down a studio where they have original, you know, RCA mics from the 50s and 60s. And so that gives it a really interesting older sound, too. Oh, very <laughs> much so. And that was, you know, we, we wanted to take as much um, tonal identity from, and this is like really where my, my sound, uh, you know, nerdiness comes into play here. Um, so we wanted to take as much kind of identity from Fumio Hayasaka's scores to, to these movies we're referencing, uh, these Akira Kurosawa films, and look at that technology and see how much we can apply that to what we're doing and experiment, try things out. And at one point we had this idea of trying to record the whole score, mix it, and then reamp it through some like old speakers with old microphones back through an old board so it sounded more mono wall of sound. Um, tested it, wasn't as cool as we thought. It's actually, it sounded too good. I was like, all right, we can't, we're not kidding. <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's so much effort to try and do this. But yeah, we, we record here in town at the village. We're in Los Angeles at the village studio, which is a very, very famous studio. Um, studio A has um, an, an old Neve. Neves weren't around, you know, in the 40s and 50s, but it was the closest thing that we could find that could get a vintage and gritty sound during the pandemic. Uh, so we did that, and we used some old compressors, used a Fairchild, um, uh, a, a 670, which there's not a lot of 670s out there, so we used that, the RCA microphones. Um, and we tried to set it up in a way, too, where it had like a very natural and organic sound, where um, we didn't change the stereo image. We left the mics where it's at, but we placed the Shamisen player on like the right side of the room, and then when we recorded the Koto player later, we recorded her on the right side, the other side of the room. So that way, we had a very natural stereo image. So we did panning, thing of the past, you know, not not <laughs> on this score. And so we we tried to approach it with that sort of a sensibility, where it's how many how many touch points between the Edo period and Akira Kurosawa can we fuse together to to make this score well just the it sounds so authentic and it sounds in the context of the game absolutely perfect and i it's, it seems like the one time you kind of didn't have to be quite so authentic with a whole lot of attention to detail was creating a musical signature for yomi mm. because who knows what yomi's really like and so the vision that leonard had for it was really interesting but it sounds like you had a chance to sort of play around with some really different sounds for that uh yeah well now you know what yomi sounds like for you heard it here yeah. first uh <laughs> but yeah so in our in our research we stumbled across uh gugaku yoko had you know we're sending things around and she had sent a, uh some some recordings of uh gugaku over yoko do you want to you want to talk about gugaku yeah, I mean, it's it's got long history, actually longer than it appeared. Uh, it started from, well, there's several, you know, stories. Some people say it's from 6th century. Some people say from 8th century, but most definitely f after 8th century. So it was originally court music. That means, you know, any religious or family events and occasions, those are the music that was played at around, the, you know, like the courtyard and the royal family. And that is how gagaku started as a style of the music. And originally, a lot of gagaku instruments came from China. But again, you know, it was modified, you know, improved by Japanese people back then. 
And even these days, those instruments are really rare in a way that, of course, even me, I never really saw all the instruments in person. I've seen partial of it, but not everything. And I would like to mention that gagaku and other instruments that we use for this recording session, they're all pitched and tuned differently from Western tuning. That means if you're expecting to hear like the concert C or sort of like a piano-friendly notes, it's first of all definitely not gonna go along, you know, not going to align with Western C D E F G. So mm. that's the first dilemma. And you kind of have to go with their own tuning and scales, which is pretty close to the pentatonic. But once again, there's so many different pentatonic scales. So Gagaku alone, I needed to really tell Cody, like, hey, so this is how it works. This is the most commonly used scales and this is tuning. And that's how we approach Gagaku. And they kind of have this very peculiar uh, sonic um, color, I would like to say. it's It sometimes makes me sleepy, by the way, but um, it's really draggy, but really mm-hmm. creating this nostalgia and kind of uh, royal feelings to it. So it was really perfect to experiment to stretch down to Yomi music because, you know, like I can definitely um, hand the button to Cody from here on because he can explain more technical side how Yomi music was created from that really, you know, like intense sound of the Gagaku and it's totally different sound right now as you hear in the game. Yeah, those recording sessions were on like audio movers and Zoom and we have a multi-camera setup so we can see and pretty much our whole team, we got up so early, I think it was like 3 a.m. or something for us and we're all just sitting here just the music itself, you listen to the the second disc on the soundtrack at the very bottom, you'll see all of the raw recordings that we, we did. We thought it would be cool to kind of expose people to those raw recordings too. And totally meditative. Everyone on the call is just zoned out. The <laughs> contractor asks, was that a good take? Do you want to do another one? I'm like, how long was that last take? Was that 30 minutes? You did a 30-minute performance of a P- I, I'm on a different plane of existence right now. It's so meditative and interesting and haunting and beautiful. Um, and shout out to Stanford for having an awesome ethnomusicology department. Such a robust database online about different aspects of the instruments, their scales, how they play them. Um, but then the really interesting part was they'd had frequency response curves of all of the different instruments. And so we saw that the hichiriki and some of these other instruments had overtones up to like 80,000 hertz, which is so far beyond, you know, two, to two times beyond, um, you know, human hearing. So my the sound designer and me and the person who just loves to destroy sounds and make things sound obscenely weird was like, I want to hear that. Um, so we had... We had already started thinking about creating like pads and interesting sounds out of kind of raw source material. We did uh, with some monk recordings. Um, some of the recordings with our soloists here in town, whenever Yoko was giving like feedback or just talking to the musicians in between takes, I'd make the engineer record it and then I time stretched them and pitched them. And so they're like m- mumbling this low demonic sounding thing at like a certain pitch and blended that in. That's in like chapter four a little bit. 
And um, so that approach had already been there to try and represent specifically this idea of Hiroki getting farther away from the world of living. You can think of a Doppler effect as an ambulance drives by. Like as you go, as the ambulance goes farther away, um, the sound waves are stretching and it's not actually dropping in pitch. It's just traveling away from you and the, the, the waves are elongating, take longer to get to you. And so that was kind of the concepts. Like, okay, as we get deeper, chapter four, getting weird, chapter five, a little ambiguously beautiful, but haunting. And then chapter six, really, really, uh, you know, obscenely strange and and distorted. And so we're doing all those things. And when we're time stretching, luckily we recorded at the highest fidelity possible, 192K hertz, 32-bit. And we did a multi-track with ambisonic microphones and ultrasonic microphones. Just insane fidelity, insane imaging. And then we could just time stretch it and make these absolutely incredible sounding um, just just instruments and pads. And we did a bunch of sampling and sound design from that. And we had this huge database of amazing sounds. And so that is that is entirely what chapter five and six is, is it's all source material from those recording sessions. <laughs>
and you can hear the raw recordings on that second disc um, and like easily it, it might not actually be the highest fidelity recording of a gugaku ever but it is the the most easily accessible highest fidelity recording of a gugaku ever hands down i'm confident <laughs> well it's just the most amazing sound and what's cool about it is it doesn't i mean it's still in that sound world so even though yeah. it's not you know like the music for the villages um in, in the above world it's still part of that environment so it works yeah. really well it's different but it's you know kind of in the same sort of world really well not not actually not really because it's yomi but but you yeah. know it, it, it's a great fit for the context of the game so and you could find examples too of um you know some some characters come back and Spoiler alert, the game's been out for almost 20 days, so I can I can say some stuff like this. But Morimitsu, um, one of the samurai, eventually comes back, and there's a mini-boss later in the game that happens to be a boss earlier in the game. And um, we were able to take some of their music and, and rearrange it for, you know, yomify it a little bit. And so there's there's melodic phrases or riffs that the players are playing it's like okay let's take those and make them a little weird so we we did a lot of you know taking the source content from chapter one two and three and mangling it and turning it into the content in five six and seven so there is definitely like sonic continuity between the two if you sped up music in five and six i bet you it'd sound shockingly close to the music in in two and three uh i haven't done that yet but i'm kind of afraid to do it now did you just create a war to Yomify, Cody? Yomify, Yomify? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, TM. I like it. Yeah. Who were some of the like standout bosses that you really had fun writing for? You know, I, we, we each kind of handled a different set, but I think my favorite was, and it's funny how this one worked out, was um, we had wrote some demos. And I'll, I'll pass the baton to Yoko here in a second, too, because we collaborated on this one. We had wrote some demos before Leonard even got the game approved uh, to be made with Devolver, just to like kind of think through some of the ideas that we were sharing. And um, we had some of these Tycho recordings um, from like 2004 and a, a concert hall in Pasadena. People are just jamming, and they sounded really good. And so we're like taking those, but they did this this natural thing where they they speed up in rhythm, you know, and then they get to this point where the subdivision becomes the new like tempo, but but cut in half. So maybe they'll go up to 180, and then they cut to 90, but they stop using um, the subdivision, and it's this interesting like reset. Uh, Yoko, do you want to take it from here? Yeah, I could definitely take over from here. So the boss battle, I mean, that Taiko and the ramping, uh, I'd like to add a little note towards it. Taiko actually has a lot of speed change and ramping, and it's really quick, and it's very freaking, regardless of the occasions or regardless of the style of the music. So that actually really helped in creating the kind of boss music or demo music before we actually got approval because we were not the only people who wanted to write this amazing, you know, game music for Traiko Yomi. But what really helped was part of what Cody just mentioned. And uh, back to your question, boss battle. I mean, I wrote this one specifically for Aiko Boss, but I liked it not because of the music I did or anything, but the way how the monster looks like from this beautiful girl to this like super scary 
octopus looking like tentacles and all the stuff. It was like, that's insane. Is it the same girl? I was like writing this like a really pretty music with like brutal Japanese instruments and stuff. Now she's like a huge monster. So appearance wise, that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. But、uh, music wise, yeah, the one、uh, we collaborated is my favorite actually. Um, Sadetame, the, the general. And so these taiko performances, they were they're natural. So we had to I beat map them out and you saw these natural taiko, these ramps. I was like, all right, so 
they build, they build, they, they hang out in a tempo, and then they build, they build, they build, and then it resets. And I was like, it's just so clear. It's like phase one, transition, phase two, transition, phase three, and it was just so obvious. And so it took a lot of time to cut that together, but it had this really amazing natural um, progression through. And if you listen to that, that boss chapter, chapter two, um, it's called track 11, Satatame the general. Um, you can hear that. And then if you listen to some of the other ones, you'll, you can hear the like completely different approach to them. Cause we had done this demo. And then when we did the vertical slice, which was chapter two, we was decided that that would be a boss theme. And so it was interesting to see how things had progressed and changed, but yet a lot of that original identity from the original demo we had did had made it into this this boss theme. Um, and then later on, we were just taking these themes in Yomi and just absolutely destroying them and making them unrecognizable. But all of these uh, bosses had had like a, an, an interesting approach, um, specifically chapter six too which is um, kind of the, the boss of imbalance, which is like your mirror image, like the evil version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so since it represents imbalance, balance is the combination of all of these themes. We took like all of the recordings that we had done of the different themes, and then we're like adding reverb, then reversing them, and then adding reverb, then re-reversing them, and flipping them, and stretching them, doing all these interesting things to create imbalance out of out of the idea of harmony and balance. Plenty of interesting things to go around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that same itself too. So that's one of the uh, most commonly known techniques Kurosawa and his composer Hayasaka did together. So for example, Seven Samurai, they had five notable themes and motifs. And our case, love, duty, uh, fury, and the hidden theme was the balance, like Cody just mentioned. And that's some like one of the techniques we kind of um, borrowed from Hayasaka and Kurosawa, and that was the part of the inspiration too.
what a fascinating process. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you had had more time, is there anything else you would have done? We probably would have recorded what? A t- we were going to try and do a taiko ensemble in Tokyo. That would have been cool because I think we could have done. It's just the pandemic was so restricting, right? Yeah. Um, and this is at least something I wanted would would was to do that same thing we did with this old 2004 recording from a concert hall in Pasadena to do that in Tokyo with an ensemble and just tell them, go off, just jam, do whatever feels right. And then we'll take all that material, take it home and get out the scissors and the kitchen shears and just uh, go to town on it. So that would have been something I would have loved to do. And maybe even maybe expanding some of our um, ensembles outside of just soloists. But I think the soloists worked. Uh, Yoko, what do you, what do you think? What other than firing me, what would you have done differently? (laughs) Well, it's something similar, but if we could, I mean, of course, outside of pandemic situation, I always imagine how it would create unique dynamics um, if we had all the players in the same room like we did for Gagaga Ensembles. Because mm. for each player, we needed to record individually for Koto, Shamisen, Taiko, Flute, everything. But as you know, you know, when the uh, band performers, musicians play together, like... For example, jazz, they create something interesting because each player is, you know, like constantly stimulating to each other's musicality, right? Yeah. So that's something I was always curious. What if we did something like the same room, you know, like five or six performers all playing and just jamming to their own music? Mm. Like, yeah, that's something I was always imagining in my head. Like that would have been interesting and maybe we could use some of them as interesting material but that's probably the only thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just such a monumental soundtrack. I mean, altogether, it's like two hours and a bit, which is just absolutely incredible. And it, I can't tell you how fascinating it's been to get the story mm. behind it and, and hear how, how you put all of this together and the research that you did. And I really appreciate your time. It's just been so much fun talking with both of you. Oh, thank you, too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Well, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about uh, your next project, whenever that might be. So thanks again. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Take care.